Hey, it's Josiah. Before we get started with this episode, I have something very special to share with you. You know, we've delved deep into what it means to be an Enneagram 5 together for the past few years, especially with our friend of the show, Sam Greenberg, or as many of you know her, the Enneagram expert. And now we want to go even deeper with you. We've worked together with Sam to craft an online workshop exclusively for type 5s to help you unlock the secrets of connection with every Enneagram type. This is not just another generic workshop. It's a deep dive into understanding and nurturing relationships tailored specifically for your unique perspective. Imagine getting practical, actionable insights on connecting with each of the nine Enneagram types all through the lens of a type five. Sam's going to guide you on how to build meaningful relationships, sharing strategies and insights specifically designed for fives. I've seen firsthand how Sam's insights can transform understanding and communication. And I'm so excited to partner with her to bring this exclusive workshop to you. Whether you're looking to deepen current relationships or navigate new ones, this workshop is a game changer for fives seeking genuine connection. Spots are limited, and trust me, you don't want to miss this. So head over to Enneagram5.com connection to secure your place and begin your journey towards richer, more authentic connections. Once again, go to Enneagram5.com connection or visit the link in the description to get your ticket to the workshop today. You know, <laughs> I have no idea how we're going to start this one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Cue the intro. Okay, so we are having a little fun with this one. Yeah. Outside of the norm, a little bit of what we've been doing. We're talking about a lot of serious things. A lot of serious things, telling some stories. But I wanted to take a break from that for a minute. And there's, we are, we are very much against typing other people. Yes. And especially in public. But. Or in uh, people's comments or. Yeah, online. or in people's comments <laughs> um, on Facebook and Instagram. And, but. It's fun to type or attempt to type fictional characters. Yes. And because they're not real people, that's okay. And they're supposed to be caricatures anyway most right. of the time, so it's totally fine. Yeah. And the interesting thing is when they're portrayed in you know TV and film and art, the idea is that you're supposed to get to know them based on what is displayed. Yeah. One of my big pet peeves about typing other people is that you can only type them based on their actions and the things that they say. Right. But their their motivations, their fears, their desires aren't that obvious. You can't really know for sure what's going on internally for you to type someone else without their permission and involvement at its best can be arrogant. <laughs> yeah. At its worst can be really damaging. So we are instead going to talk about today some of our favorite fictional fives. Gotta love alliteration. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you can't not start with the most obvious five. Sherlock. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I can see that he's on both of our lists as the first one. 
like when I when I think about, I mean, I do think that he's a quintessential five, and and it's, but it's not just that; it's that he's so iconic, and yeah. and and has been around for so long. When you think of fives, or when I think of fives, I think Sherlock first usually. There could be an argument made that the different portrayals of Sherlock are not always a five. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, like Benedict Cumberbatch, definitely a five. Yeah, the book version of Sherlock, definitely a five. Well, for the most part, but and well, I guess there's been a lot. There's been multiple authors of Sherlock over the years. So Robert depends Downey on, Jr. not a five. Yeah, not not as much. Yeah, probably. Well, you could argue that he was an unhealthy five, maybe integrating to seven. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I don't know. Oh, it's been so long since I've seen I know, that same. version yeah. of Sherlock Holmes. As soon as we shot, we saw the show Sherlock. We forgot about everybody yeah, else know, who right? played Sherlock. <laughs> There's only one. Benedict. Old Cumberbatch. Oh, man. And I mean, the, the Mind Palace, everything about it is yeah. so... And I think it's also probably very idealistic. You know, it's like, I, that's everything yeah. I wish I was. Absolutely. Yes. I wish that I was so incredibly good at something that it didn't care how much of an asshole I was. Yes. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent that. I wish I was so good at something that I could be my complete, unadulterated, unfiltered self and people just had to deal with yes. it. Yep. That, I really wish that, which I guess, I mean, I, I don't know how quick you want to go through this list, but that kind of brings me to my next character. <laughs> okay. Gregory House. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's like, uh, a, it's basically Sherlock of the medical world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it yeah. is. It is definitely Sherlock Holmes. I know they even do so many parallels in the show to Sherlock Holmes. I mean, with uh, Watson and Wilson yeah. and, and it's all the things. So similar. Yeah. Watson had a, had a limp, but then house had a limp. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing because with house, he has this affliction and I guess that's kind of the point of house. Though. I was going to say, you know, Sherlock doesn't necessarily have it, but Sherlock has his own affliction, which is that he gets bored and destructive, mm-hmm. yeah. which I can also definitely relate to completely. And I was just, I was just thinking house has this physical manifestation of that. His physical affliction is actually a physical manifestation of that. Right. I think that's what we kind of, the conclusion we come to in that show mm. is a lot of the pain that he experiences from that is more psychosomatic than he wants to admit or, <laughs> sure. or believe or, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still the same kind of affliction of feeling separate when you're kind of intellectually above everyone else, or at least perceive yourself to be. It's really hard to relate to people. It's really hard to actually have healthy relationships. Yeah. Well, and and even in the show, he, we're we're working our way back through that show. I've realized I can't, I can't watch it anymore. I've watched it like seven times. (laughs) But you know, it's funny so it, depressing. at a point. At, yeah. But I love that kind of stuff. There's a point <laughs> in my life though, where I don't know how I did it, but I kind of outgrew the show, I think emotionally. Right. So I, I watch it back now and I think how terrible it is like acting wise. Oh, like I don't, hmm. I don't, there's so much, the first half of the show, I don't actually believe House's emotions or his quick witty comebacks and stuff. It feels over the top. It feels very much like, I don't know, a USA type show, like, mm. you, you know, like Psych or, you know, things that are just over the top, actually, not realistic. Really, I really love Psych. But. I like Psych too, but it's a different kind of show. <laughs> yeah, it's a different kind of show. You know, you're getting into like a cartoony situation that's not even remotely realistic and right. also really corny, right? Yeah. So, but House was not really supposed to be that way. And season six on takes a very different turn. And and I think from season six, especially episode one, season six, if for anybody who hasn't seen it and wants to watch, 
is a really, really great portrayal of a five hitting bottom and having to come back up and figure out what health looks like. And does he ever figure it out? No, not really. Hmm. But <laughs> but he tries. And is there's a point where when it uh, I'm we're gonna assume I'm gonna go ahead and say spoilers for anybody who hasn't <laughs> watched right. House. Um, but if you have watched it, uh, we should probably just go ahead and say spoilers. Spoilers period. for anything. Yeah. If we start talking about a character, assume there's gonna be spoilers. You might want to skip. <laughs> Otherwise, um, this conversation is just not gonna be very fun. Yeah. <laughs> so with House. The, you know, season six is when he, the, the drugs finally take its toll and he goes to rehab, the real rehab. Okay. And it gets very, very real. And he tries to buck the system and, and integrates to seven or disintegrates rather to seven over and over and over again to the point to where he is playing fast and loose with other people's lives mm. just for his own enta- entertainment and enjoyment. Yeah. All the way to the point that somebody kills themselves and it's his fault. Yep. Yeah. Cha- chaotic dis- destruction. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's really interesting. And the fact that he always thinks that he needs the drugs because he goes back to being unhappy and unmiserable and everybody keeps trying to tell him around him, around him, you were miserable before you had the drugs. <laughs> right. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the drugs. And so, yeah, I think that that's yeah, that all of his ta- uh, telltale signs of trying to regress back into his old ways is all just him misinterpreting his unhealthy behavior and not mm. wanting to deal with it and deflecting to other things, which I, I understand done that a lot in my life. So there was points in my life where I related a little too much to house. And now I look back and I see it as my past self. So maybe it's like I literally emotionally outgrew it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's what I said when I, the reason I can't really watch the show now is I feel like I don't, before I kind of idealized him and, you know, related to him Mm. and I don't feel that way anymore. And now it just, it feels, it's not that I don't like dark things because I, I do, (laughs) but it feels unnecessarily hopeless. If that makes sense. I like, I'm watching this person essentially torture themselves because they can't gain the perspective that they need. Well, they don't think they deserve anything good. Right. That's part of it for sure. I mean, part of the whole thing and part of perspective, what you're saying, I guess, is like he constantly thinks that he deserves everything he gets yep. and make sure that he earns it, earns the bad things. Yeah. And so I, I used to feel that way Yeah, and I don't anymore. And so like going back and watching that, it just, there's really no interest in it for me. You know, what's crazy to me too, is like, if you think about just kind of a side note, the person who created house also created the good doctor which is the same kind of show but the opposite i haven't watched that the same kind of show but the opposite what does that mean so it's it's a doctor who's also a genius mm-hmm. but he has asperger's i think okay and he is like the saint and angel of all people but they all also kind of have to let him do his thing in the way that he does it because he does it differently than everybody else he's more of like a savant okay (laughs) but he's also really young he's the youngest doctor to ever finish med school blah 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 etc and doogie hauser yeah kind of (laughs) it's a doogie hauser but like with good you know dark moody lighting and very similar house vibes and even like a weird like i don't know it's just strange the whole thing it feels very much like house but like the opposite side of the same coin in that way of like it's really uplifting and positive (laughs) and so so much so that i couldn't watch it also because of that reason i was like this is too happy for me it's too corny it's an abc show so okay that makes sense went from fox to abc yeah 
If I saw myself as a fictional character, I would have to say it would be Ross Geller. I'm very disappointed in that because Ross is very annoying with all of his knowledge and sharing and the facts that he must tell everyone everything he knows about dinosaurs. And I'm like that with the Enneagram. It's like, give me as much knowledge of this Enneagram stuff that I can possibly get and let me help you with your life. You'll be such a better person if you just know your numbers. So yeah, probably Ross Geller. And if you've noticed, Ross Geller only has five other friends that he ever associates with. And that would be me. I only have so many friends that I let into my life fully. I do have friends, but they're not my bestie friends that know everything about me. There's a lot of boundaries to cross to get to know me. And I suspect that's the way it is with Ross Geller. Because if it wasn't, he and Rachel, despite the fact that it was a television show, he and Rachel would have been able to communicate better. But Ross wouldn't let her into his, what I call castle, his mind castle, actually. And the other one I relate to is Sherlock Holmes. I I really like Sherlock. I am that person. I, I like to figure things out, those clues. I like to be alone. And, and I don't understand why people don't just get it. I mean, it's very obvious a lot of times the things that are right in front of their face and they don't see it. So yeah, I guess it would be Ross Geller and, and Sherlock Holmes would be my fictional characters. All right. So a recent favorite I absolutely love is Beth Harmon from Queen's Gambit. Ah, uh, yes. That show was so good. Yep. <laughs> You know, it's funny though. I've heard a lot of people, I watched a lot of, or read a lot of reviews of people giving her character shit for that episode that she kind of lets loose and drinks and kind of like breaks from her character, (laughs) which you could say is a weird way of kind of disintegrating to seven. But I, in that regard though, every, I think that the, 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 the viewer can't help but root for that moment for her because of how much she was so controlled for so long. So in that way, what we would ideal, ideal, idealize. How do you mm-hmm. say that word? Idealize yeah. <laughs> the way that we would idealize the perfection of what she can do was actually her prison yeah. in the worst and most unhealthy way. Mm. She didn't become the healthiest version of that side of herself until the end. Mm. And so that's something that, which to be fair, I haven't actually seen the end. I never saw the last episode. What? I know for some reason it just like, I never watched it and I don't know how it happened. So we can't go into it too much. Don't spoil it. Um, but everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> it's always what happens. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I think that there's so many things about that show that I love, though, and very much, you know, Sherlock vibes for sure. Yeah, I loved how they they portrayed the the visualization. Of her working through all the problems with like yeah. the chessboards on the ceiling. Mind and, Palace. Oh my God. I yeah. love that. I remember when I used to, back when I was doing software development, and I would get really excited about a project. And I would literally go to sleep coding things in my head the same mm-hmm. way she was doing that yeah. with the chessboard. And I would I would wake up the next morning early and go into work <laughs> so that I could like get all the stuff out of my head. Right onto, you know, into the computer as yeah. quickly as possible before I lost it. Um, I, so I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Now I, I don't know if I, I, I guess I do that. I've done that with music before. I don't, there's not a lot that I've been able to visualize in my head, but I also don't think 
I've had a lot of problems with, with, I think I've talked, maybe talked about this in the past, but, um, with math and not being able to visualize numbers Oh, and I can't, so I can't, that my biggest problem with math is that I can't count in my head, like physically can't do it. And huh. so, um, because as soon as I do all the numbers jumble up and get backwards. Right. So in, in, I, I've never really processed it or it, that much, but I've wondered if maybe I'm affected in other ways in the same way. You know, it's weird. The only other INTJ that I know also has that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Do you, so do you visualize music at all? Because I do. How do you visualize it? So I used to do show choir. And so I did a lot of, you know, more choir type music and reading mm-hmm. parts and singing parts. And, yeah. But even before I could really read music, which I still, I can't at this point. That was a thing. A quick tangent here. I, my ear was so good that I tried to learn how to read music and learn how to play the piano by reading music. And I remember my, my professor who was teaching me piano at the time, he had me try to read and like play it out and, yeah. and I wasn't getting it. He's like, here, it goes like this. And then he played it out. And then as soon as I heard him play it, I sat down and played it right back to him. And he was like, okay, I'm never playing anything for you ever again. because Yeah. <laughs> And the the crazy thing is like, I was obsessed with music theory. There was this advanced music theory class. I don't even know how I got into it, but it was like, they combined music theory one and two into one semester. Yeah. And I took it and got the second highest grade on the final. And the only person who beat me was like a professional guitar teacher. Wow. And uh, because I was obsessed. Yeah. But even with like that part of it, I was still really lazy in executing on it. Like, Mm. and, and like learning how to read the music because I had grown up doing everything by ear and I relied on that. And so it was like, it didn't seem worth the effort, (laughs) even though I really wanted to like get really proficient at reading music and being able to play, because I know that that, especially with piano, being able to sit down and actually look at a piece and play it out. I would love to be able to do that, but I can't to this day because I never pushed through and actually learned how to play. Well, so the flip side of that is I didn't, I don't, I can't read sheet music. I never have. And, uh, but I've learned everything by ear. So similar to you. Yeah. So I don't visualize music, but I hear music constantly, whether it's silent or not. So whenever mm. I'm thinking about a song, I can visualize in the sense of like audibly visual, audibly visualize. I don't know how to, I wouldn't, <laughs> I don't know what that means. I, I don't know how to say it, but you know, like I can imagine it in my head audibly and okay. fill in all of the parts. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. So yeah. whenever I sit down to write music for this podcast, I play four chords and all of a sudden I hear mm. all the other things. And so then I just start trying to find the things that I'm looking for that fit what I, what's in my head. Okay. So I yeah, do that. I guess to answer your question, how I visualize it is it's almost like a moving wave. Like I can see mm. where I'm, I need to hit certain notes. And so when I'm, when I'm s- like, like guitar hero, kind of, yeah, kind well, of, obviously not waves, but um, it well, comes at you and you know when to hit your points. Well, like I, I, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm singing a piece that I, I mean, I haven't done this in so long, so uh, probably is not this way anymore, but like I can, I, I, when I need to hit different notes, I, I see them in my head. I don't know how to explain it. Like mm-hmm. I see the jumps, like the intervals between. Oh everything. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. And it helps me remember what I'm, what I'm doing. Cause I'm right. visualizing these intervals jumping around while I'm singing. That makes sense. So in some ways, I guess it is similar to Beth Harmon, Beth Harmon. Queen's yeah. Gamut, yeah. Okay. And one another thing I love about this is she's one of the few well-portrayed fives that are female. Yes. Like that's always everybody's complaint online, oh my actually. Gosh. Yeah. Is um when I was looking online trying to get other ideas for this episode and like some that maybe I had forgotten about. 
Um, that was something that really struck me how much everybody was like, I wish there were more female fives portrayed in movies, mm-hmm. which I mean, there should be more female blank portrayed in movies, but definitely <laughs> fives. Yeah. So the interesting thing, um, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but I think like 75% of our audience is female. Oh, which is really cool. And it also yeah. makes sense because what we're doing is focusing specifically on fives and there aren't a ton of resources like that. And I feel I, if I were to guess, I would say female fives probably um, crave that more because there's a lot less portrayal and a lot less resources that really like help them understand themselves. Hmm. That's just a guess. I don't know. We do get a lot of responses for the episodes that are all a lot more female than male. Yeah, which, which I is, love, because, which is great. Yeah, because you have you to know. listen to two guys <laughs> yeah. talk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I love it. So that that actually brings up uh, another five that I really like, mm-hmm. In, and that's the. And I was really surprised that they made her this way um, for this iteration. But MJ from the new Spider Man. Mm, yes. Yeah. The Marvel Spider-Man. Yeah, She's nice. totally a five. Yeah. And I love it because like she, she just she just sits back all the time. She's smarter than everybody else and she observes everything. Yeah. And and the first movie like, she barely talked. Yeah. But it's like super sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. And like that's totally me in high school. I loved her. I was <laughs> yes. like, yep, that's uh, I would be friends with you or hate you. Yes. It depends. Yeah, I guess it does depend. No, we'd probably be friends. It depends on how, I guess it, it depends on how willing she would be to be friends, but I'd be like, you're cool. We can hang. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like fives are weird like that though. Sometimes they're like cats. So they don't really want to get along with other cats. Yeah. And then sometimes, I don't know. Yeah. It, you know, now that I think about it, like it's interesting how we have this community of fives that we're building mm-hmm. and everyone in there, I'm like, I would totally hang out with you. Right. But, I've also run into a lot of fives where I'm like, you are obnoxious. <laughs> and I think actually it's, it's made way worse because I can see myself in them and I can see the obnoxious parts of me in them and the things that I don't like about myself. And that's oh, probably yeah. why I, I look at them. I'm like, I get that away. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I definitely judge myself really harshly all the time and get on my own nerves. Like li- mm. having to listen to this podcast and edit it over and over again. <laughs> that's I, why I make you do that. Yeah. I constantly am just like, God, I hate myself. <laughs> Shut up, Cody. What are you talking about? <laughs> yep. Because we, uh, we never, we never know enough. We're never good enough. We're never quite competent enough, you know? Yeah. Well, and yeah. I also, or I eloquent enough. You yeah. Know? I think of way better ways to say things when yep. I'm editing. Yep. I'm like, can I just 100%. overdub this? I can just punch in. I'm like, like you thought this episode was great. Wait till you hear the episode that was in my head right after this episode, because <laughs> right. it's a thousand times better. So, oh, the conversations we've had when we hit stop. Yeah, no. You know what I mean? I, we had the, a couple episodes ago, we stayed and talked until like four in the morning and had another two episodes worth of conversations <laughs> because we'd had too much wine that night. Uh, I was definitely hung over the next day. Oh, I was too. It was rough. And, but we had, I mean, at least our drunk selves thought they were good conversation. We might've recorded it. That's a good point. Yeah. listened back and also thought we were idiots. I was just talking about all this stuff. What? I I don't know. I'm going to laugh at that later. Oh man. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, I never really thought about MJ being a five, but it's completely true. And it's interesting too, because I don't know. I mean, what would Peter Parker be? 
in that because um, he's pretty, he's kind of anxious, but then he's also kind of not. Yeah, I don't know what Peter Parker would. I haven't I actually haven't thought a lot about that on the Enneagram. I know that like Myers Briggs, he's a four. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the opposite. I know that uh, Myers Briggs, he's an INFP. Um, yeah. And so I could see him as uh, he's just really helpful. Is he a two? Two wing one? Yeah, I could see that. A two wing one. Or a nine wing one? No, two wing one. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, having said that, though, I it makes sense because I actually think that the new version of Peter Parker and MJ don't go together at all. Mm. I don't think that they're compatible. And if they stay together in Marvel somehow, it doesn't make any sense because mm. I feel like that they would he would drive her nuts because he drives yes. me nuts. Yeah. And I like Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think that that's and him with his friend and they're like geeky selves. And then it's her trying to be in the middle of that. If you think yeah. about just those personalities in real life. I would yeah. hate that. I would absolutely hate that in real life. Yeah. So, mm. but definitely settled on she's probably a five. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Jump in our community and tell us if you disagree <laughs> yeah. with us. Cause I'm, I'm all for debating this. Yeah. Um, we I actually, could, we have a thread going on fictional five so we can just update it with. Oh, with that's this. right. Yeah. yeah, we do. Man, it's been so fun. did not initially know any fictional fives. I had not looked any up. And so after doing some Googling, I found that my favorite Disney princess for most of my life was an Enneagram five. So Belle from Beauty and the Beast, she was just, she is just fabulous. She's bookish. She's insatiably curious. She never quite fit in. She always had her nose stuck in a book. She was isolated, just she and her dad, but I'm sure that she loved that. She had her books, and she loved her fictional Prince Charmings over Gaston. And oh, the library. Oh, I just remember the first time seeing that library, and I thought, girl, you just got it made. She was so genuine, and she must have had a strong wing for because when she needed to make her true emotions known, she could totally do it. And she solved the problem. Her dad was going to be imprisoned by this terrible beast, or she could take his place. And as an Enneagram 5, she's like, well, I can totally just be inside a cell, and I'm sure eventually I could ask for books, and he'll totally let me have some. So yeah, Enneagram 5, Belle, she's fabulous. So that actually is a good segue into my favorite Marvel character, uh-huh. who is a five. Actually, so Spider-Man overall is probably my favorite just because of the sentimental reasons. Like he was my first like yeah. real superhero. Um, I was into Spider-Man and Batman were my two when I was mm, a kid. Yeah. I can't remember if it was Spider-Man or X-Men I loved first, but I wasn't allowed to watch X-Men. That's weird. Yeah. It's a conservative religious thing. They didn't want you to be brainwashed <laughs> by the mutants. I don't, they, they just like, there were like certain buzzwords. They were like, there's too many tones of like racism and segregation in here. We don't want you to be brainwashed into being Socialism progressive. And <laughs> right. You showed them uh, that really worked. Um, so yeah. So Spider-Man was really the first superhero cartoon that I watched. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, probably same here. Yeah. I also wasn't allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles either because of the word mutant. It's, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. But I mean, that's true though. When I was a kid, there were multiple people that I knew who couldn't watch (laughs) Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, X-Men. They were the same people who couldn't watch Harry Potter. I'm like, how are Mm -hmm. mutants and magic the same? I don't, I have no idea. Uh, so Spider-Man is my favorite for sentimental reasons. Um, and, but my, my favorite character as far as like the one that I relate to the much, the most is Dr. Strange. Mm. Yes. Stephen yeah. Strange. And the reason why the thing that I love about the character that I kind of idealize is that he can essentially know whatever he needs to know. Right. So like an end game or infinity war, infinity, infinity war. war, right. he, can play out all these scenarios, like infinite scenarios until like, or, and actually go through time. And this is what happens when a five becomes everything. a God. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he was all it's of like, a sudden can, omniscient. I know I can know anything. You mean I can actually like, you know, like theorize something and see how it plays out and then rewind and tweak it and see how it plays out and do that. at like, you know, a trillion times in 15 minutes. Hell yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> I do that with everything. I will say this, he was one he's one of my favorite character favorite characters even from the comics, but I feel like and Doctor Strange was one of my favorite Marvel movies. I don't feel like he got the origin story he deserved. I feel like he got there so fast that you're killing me with that I'm stand. Sorry. Go ahead. Um I feel like he got there so fast that I was like, man, I really wanted a better arc for him. Like because he mm. just all of a sudden knew everything. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you didn't fair. struggle enough. That's, like, you literally lost yeah. everything that you worked your entire life for. There should have been more mourning. Because we know now that Marvel knows how to mourn. <laughs> yeah. They know grief. And so I feel like it was just too lighthearted for him. And he's, because he's such a complex character. And Benedict mm-hmm. Cumberbatch is amazing for that. I mean, nobody else could play that character. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's really. Do you think should... he's a five since he keeps playing these five roles? Ooh, I don't know. Because he, he also played uh, Imitation Game. Yes, I was just about to say that, yeah. Yeah, maybe he is. When I've heard him in interviews and stuff, he definitely kind of sounds like one. I could see him. So maybe he is a five. Yeah, he's Benedict, very... if you listen to this episode, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, let us Jump know. Jump into our community and let us know if you're a five. <laughs> so Doctor Strange, all right, check off the list. He's a, he's a five. Uh, we could stay in the Marvel world for a little bit. Bruce Let's Banner. I don't think Bruce is a five. Yeah. A lot of people think that he is. I don't think that he's a five, but he's super intellectual, obviously. Right. And he's really good at what he does, but he doesn't cherish the knowledge that he has. He cares hmm. much more about the, he might be a nine. If you think about what he grew into as uh, both Hulk banner, the <laughs> banner Hulk and how much he like has this affinity and love for the people in his life and has come to, when he finally come to grips with both sides of himself and he mm. loved to spend time with people and tell stories and he loved to have this like warm connection with people could be a nine wing one, one wing nine. If he were a five, I don't think he would feel bad about the stuff the Hulk does the way that he, that, that that's he absolutely true. You Cause know? I wouldn't feel bad. I wouldn't either. I'm like, yeah. dude, it was the other guy. It wasn't me. <laughs> I say that now in real life. No, right? That was Hyde. I'm Jekyll. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah that's, I mean, that's really funny. I, so I don't know if he's a nine necessarily, but I I don't think he's a five. He gives and, me nine vibes. He probably yeah, isn't a nine, but I, he, I know nines in my life that are and have known nines and have, you know, the, the and the, some of those people have done podcasts and done things. They're nines. And you just think of 
I, 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 they, he gives me that warm, fuzzy vibe that <laughs> nines do. You know what? I feel like we should have prefaced this whole conversation with. Hmm. <laughs> We're not Enneagram experts. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so uh, we're not qualified to. We're literally really just type... talking of our. Uh, we're having an opinion. Right. This is an opinion piece. This yeah. Is, yeah. So uh, take this all with a grain of salt, um, if you will. And don't get mad. Feel free to comment and tell yeah. us what you think. You can you can tell us we're wrong. I'll be fine with uh, it. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I'm, ta- I'm I don't I don't claim to be right here. <laughs> We are literally, I just wrote down some, I quickly wrote a list of things down right before we started and was like, maybe these people are fives and we'll talk about it. Who else in Marvel do you think is a five? Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. Hit me. Okay. We're going deep. Okay. Tony Stark. I don't know about that one. I know. Everybody says that. If he's a five, Mm -hmm. he's an extroverted five. Sure. I disagree though. I don't think he's extroverted. You don't think he's extroverted? Uh, speaking as someone who's seen all 23 movies multiple times. Um, <laughs> you are more of a Marvel nerd than I am. Yeah. All right. So I wrote down some notes here. Are you ready for yes. that? Let's do it. Most of the series, he overindulges in wildly unhealthy behaviors and activities, mm-hmm. trying to cope with life and trauma. So he f- has a full regression into seven, which happens in Iron Man 2 at his birthday. Mm-hmm. But at his, yeah. and at his healthiest, he loves to improve systems, his suit over and over again, multiple iterations. Yeah. He tinkers around, constantly working in his workshop. His favorite place is his like downstairs workshop where mm-hmm. no one can get in. He locks everyone out. That's true. Even Pepper had, could not get in there. Right. And that's a parallel even to at the end when he has a family and he still has a space that he hides from everyone and only he can access that. That's true. But at his healthiest, he grows and even, but even during that time, he tinkers and he goes way too far, getting too obsessive with it, forgetting all things about life in his trauma and at his lowest point in Iron Man 2 and eventually leads into the second Avengers movie, which is Age of Ultron. So mm-hmm. he tinkers so much that he in- accidentally creates an omniscient and almost omnipotent villain of uh-huh. Ultron, but then s- quickly sw- realizing his his fault and his shortcomings and then creates the exact opposite side of that coin with Vision. Okay. So he has that kind of thing going and then uh, grows into and kind of peaks at his healthy estate when he, he kind of was growing into that when he starts mentoring Peter being the teacher, being this person that loves to impart knowledge and then impart gifts uh, that he's worked on onto Peter, but still detached, stays detached in the way that his dad left him with that trauma, then becomes a good husband and father. But even then still can't help but get away from, I mean, I think he becomes like a healthier five, which leans into the eight qualities. But at the end is so sure of himself, stops doubting and is so sure of himself and what he needs to do that he even sacrifices his life for it. Okay. Counter argument. Yeah. Go. Ahead. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I could also see him being an eight. Yeah. Because at his unhealthiest, he withdraws and he does go into this. I mean, he's just, you know, obviously he's a highly um, intelligent person. Right. Regardless. But he's also never had a trouble making decisions. So Tony, he... So, so fives, when we're not, we're not integrating towards an eight, we, we often overanalyze everything Mm -hmm. and it causes inaction. Yeah. He had those moments, but I feel like that's not the norm for him. The norm for him is he can make decisions really quickly and Mm -hmm. he can um, direct people and he can delegate things and he can, and do all this stuff. That's true. So he's operating from an, at, at his kind of like normal level, he's operating from an eight. And when he disintegrates, he disintegrates into a five. When he integrates, eights integrate to two. Mm-hmm. So if you think about his progression towards 
caring for other people and learning how to serve other people. Hmm. That's where he ends up to me because he, he made the ultimate sacrifice of for once caring for other people. And, yeah. and if you bring in the whole, like, you know, with um, Pepper, where she gives him that gift and it's like proof that Tony Stark finally has a heart, you know? Yeah. That to me is a great visual example of him integrating over to a two. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it could go either way. It's funny that I see it that way as a, through the filter of a five and see that he becomes, cause I feel like even with his family, they mean everything to him, but I still feel this like level of detachment that might mm-hmm. just be me projecting. Oh, that's a good point. Um, and we so see who we want to see. Yeah. Feel, feel the whole thing. <laughs> just imagine it. But I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, cool. So there's the two arguments. Feel free to blow us up in the community for this. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with it. As long as we're talking Marvel, I'll I'll debate with you all day. It doesn't even matter. The one thing I will say is it's hard for me to debate a lot of this stuff because you have a much better memory than I do. Like a long-term Only memory. Only about Marvel, though. Uh, well, I mean, like <laughs> I'm specifically around like um, like shows and movies and things like that. Yeah, I do. It's weird for me. It's it's like it's hazy. I watch so much. I know you have too. But yeah. I but we watch things in a different way. Sure. And I and I have this. I do have this weird thing where I remember everything I've watched. I don't have that. Like so much so that like when we're watching, like I've forgotten more of what I've watched than I remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we like even when we were watching House, which you have to imagine back then was twenty two episodes per season. Yeah. Way longer, and I still remember as soon as an episode starts, I'm like, oh, this one's good because this and this and this is going to happen, oh, and geez. like I know exactly when it's about to happen and what's about to, you know, and I'll be like, look, 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 watch this. <laughs> See, I can. I drive Madison insane. Yeah. Because of I that. can rewatch stuff and still like it's like experiencing it the yeah, first time. Yeah, it's kind of an awesome thing. Um, yeah, no, I don't do that. Sadly, that is something that I'm robbed of by remembering everything. Like we're we're rewatching The Expanse right now. Actually, Amy's watching it for the first time, and which I love. It's one of my favorite sci-fi's. Huh. And have you watched it? Uh-uh. Oh, it's so good. The poster has made me want to watch it many times. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it looks really cool. It's so good. It is to me the most realistic portrayal of what a future would look like based on current circumstances. Is it post-apocalyptic? No, it's, it's like, I think it's two to 300 years in the future, somewhere around in there where we have essentially started colonizing the rest of the solar system. Hmm. So we've made it out to Mars. And so we have a colony on Mars that's been there for a while that we've gone to war with. And then we've got the belt. So the outer planets, the moons around the outer planets, and then people living on like large asteroids and, and different space stations, like large space stations in the belt, mining, mm-hmm. mining the asteroid belt. The thing that so I, it's like the oil rigs out in the ocean. Well, yeah. The it's thing that I love concept. about it is it, they did a really great job of like saying, okay, let's look at the current state of humanity and uh-huh. extrapolate out. Okay. And basically take the same kind of themes and dynamics and move them forward a couple of hundred years. And what that would look like when you bring in the complexity of people living on different, on different worlds. And so it's, and the first season is really interesting because they have all these mixed genres Hmm. where like part of it almost feels like a film noir. Cause one of the characters is like a detective and on the, on the station he's on it, whenever they're showing like that, part of the story with him yeah. it feels like a film noir. Okay. And then you've got everything happening on earth and it's like a political thriller. And mm. then you've got the people who are out in the belt doing their thing. And it right. feels like a space odyssey, but it all is really cohesive. And I thought they'd done a brilliant job of it. And just the way that the story moves forward, where you think, you know what the expanse means. Yeah. 
and then you find out what the expanse means. And oh, so it's just, okay. it's so, it's so interesting to me. I really love it. It's, it's probably my favorite space themed series, I would say. Wow. With a close second of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Which I've still never seen. <laughs> it's so good. Um, Most of it. The the old one? Isn't there a remake? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the new one. I could, I tried watching the old one. Oh, okay. It's, it's hard. I have a hard time watching old stuff. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would go as far as to say it. I know people might like, uh, murder me for this, but I have a hard time watching the old Star Wars movies. I can see that. Yeah, I did. You watch them as a kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I can watch them for that reason that I watched them when I was a kid. Yeah. But I mean, even as a kid, I was like, these people cannot act. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I was like seven, I was like, Daddy, I don't believe them. <laughs> They're not real. It's it and the effects yeah, I even mean, then were terrible. So I mean, I because I rewatched them. My dad made me rewatch four, five, and six when one, two, and three came out. So I was a kid when uh, those came out. Okay, but yeah, I think so. I watched them around that time too, and then watched them again when uh, I watched them with Redneck Dan. Oh yeah, he's gonna be like a a weird character that comes up in random <laughs> conversations. I don't think he listens to the show because he's not a five. But Aww. if you listen, buddy, shout out to you. I, I rewatched all of the the first six again when seven, four, five, six, yeah, seven, eight, and nine came out. Okay, you wait. wait you rewatched the first six. Yeah, I can't go back to the well, original when, trilogy, man. When seven came out, when seven came out, I rewatched the first the four the first six, and I hated every second of four, five, and six. <laughs> A four, like, five, and six, really? Yeah. Well, six wasn't that bad. Four is the worst. Four is definitely the worst. Worse than the than one, two, and three. You thought? Yeah, I didn't mind Ooh. one, two, and three as much. I need to go back and try them again. Yeah, because one, two, and three is kind of fun, actually. And I watched them in the order they came out in, not in chronological order. Oh, oh, here's a question for you. Yeah. Now, I was going to say, is Darth Vader a five? But I don't no, think that makes sense. He's absolutely not a five. Well, I was thinking back to Anakin. Yeah, he's not a five. When he was tinkering with stuff. Oh, well, yeah, but he's, he's they too emotional. They changed the character of Anakin. But right. I mean, even all the way through to Darth Vader, he's he's still even Darth Vader's emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I need to go back and watch those. Yeah, again, I remember it all. Right, I've only seen it twice in my entire life. I feel like I'm a combination of two. I want to say that I'm a lot like Zoe and Zoe's extraordinary playlist, but I'm also like Diane Wynn from. Bojack Horseman, kind of if you merged those together, those two together, those two characters, I feel like I'm a lot like both of them. I don't know if Diane is really a a five, but I empathize with her and I think I also empathize with Zoe. So they're just a little quirky, a little bit absent-minded, a little bit focused, a little bit unfocused, and maybe just a little bit strange and weird and it's okay, you know, and that's what I think is best about being a five, is being quirky and fun and weird and different but all in its own little package that's uniquely you that's what i would say anyway all right let's shift gears here because there's a character i actually i couldn't keep watching the show because it was so scary close to what was going on inside of my head at like my darkest times is this anime no it's not anime. okay no, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I didn't know where we were going. I, no. I have to say, we thought with this was going to be a shorter episode. <laughs> <laughs> we always find things to talk about. I know, yeah, we could talk for hours anyway. <clears throat> All right, so what is it? So it's Elliot, the main character from Mr. Robot. Oh. Have you watched that? I've seen pieces. 
Oh man, especially in the beginning. And actually, maybe I haven't because I remember it as being kind of like a silly show. Oh God, no. So it's not that. Oh, you need to watch it. What's the premise? It's brilliant. Okay. What's it, his character like? So his character is essentially a savant computer programmer who Ooh, okay. works at a cybersecurity company. Okay. Who is, I'll, I'll just say someone comes into his life mm-hmm. who sort of takes advantage of his mental health state Oh. and tries to get him to basically destroy all the credit card companies. Okay. I'm intrigued. And, but the, is it serious though? Like, is, oh, it, yeah. is it well done? This oh, isn't a show that's like on oh, it's re- TBS. Or no, it's, it? it's really well done. And What's it? What was it on? I don't remember. I don't remember either. I don't remember. What is the guy's name? The guy who in Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh uh, yeah. It's him. Yeah. 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 That dude. And then, um, Chris, Christian Slater is another character. And then Ugh, I hate Christian Slater. <laughs> So the, but the, the inner monologue that this guy has, it's so cynical, but it's this weird mix of cynicism and knowing that he could do something about it and like fighting that, but it's a losing battle. Right. And and just watching him sort of deteriorate in this mental health wise, deteriorate in the state. It was, it's like, it was too spot on for me. Like I, I don't think I ever got to the mental health place that he was at. Mm. But the dark, cynical, I want to burn the world down place. And I could probably figure out a way to do it. Like that was, there were times when I got there and it was not pretty. I'm going to have to watch it. I have a, I'm kind of a snob about movies or TV shows that are meant to be gritty and dark, but they don't really ever get there because (laughs) they're still for TV. And so if they don't really Mm. cross that line of being like actually dark and intense and being willing to push the boundaries of what they're supposed to be allowed to do then I don't really get there because I live in real life and that's right. too real. So it needs to be like real life. No, I get you. Um, and and granted, it's been a long time since I watched the show. Yeah. And I was in completely different headspace when I watched it, where I was kind of starting to sink back into this dark period. Gotcha. And so I, I don't know how it would look to me now in the lens that I'm, I'm I have right now. Like but, when you turn the lights on in a bar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like maybe it's, maybe it's terrible. Yeah, now. maybe it is. I have no idea. I just remember thinking, this guy is inside my head and I need to stop watching this. I mean, we all know that he can act. He won an Oscar for yeah. it. So I, I would be yeah. willing to watch it. Um, that actually kind of is a perfect segue into one of my favorite shows though. And even with everything that I just said, a show that pushes the boundaries way beyond what they should have been allowed to do and was cut off way before it's time should have been. Um, and it's the show Hannibal. Oh yeah. I never watched that on NBC. And to think that this show was ever on a major network (laughs) blows my mind. Um, It is so good. And it's beautiful. Like the way that they interweave and make just absolute art out of somebody just completely dismembering somebody and putting them together in different pieces and making it beautiful (laughs) or making you a hundred percent believe that they're eating people and looks very gourmet and beautiful. Uh, Everything about it is a work. Every shot is a work of art. And for that, I, Brian Fuller forever has my respect as the director and writer of that show. And I, it's one of the main shows that I will forever wish would come back and might. It's, it's a weird thing. Maybe it'll come back, but Mads Mikkelsen's Hannibal Lecter is the ultimate five to me. And it is my version of the ultimate five. Someone who has literally no boundaries and no, no limitations on what they would or wouldn't do to protect themselves or to manipulate somebody else for their own enjoyment. (laughs) 
this show is nuts. So you're talking about somebody getting in somebody's head and making them do something. Mm-hmm. That's essentially the premise. And that's what he does to Will Graham. And so it's this whole thing. I don't want to spoil it because Joe, you really need to watch the show. Okay. I would watch it with you. We can watch it together. I would actually love that. Actually, <laughs> that'd be so fun because <laughs> everybody I watch it with, nobody actually gets why I love this we, show. We need to hang out more, not doing podcast stuff. I think we keep talking about it. <laughs> well, Maybe when we get this first season, yeah, once we're done recording <laughs> season one, we'll, uh, we we'll can record season two ahead of time and actually have time to yeah. do things and be human beings. But I mean, that Hannibal though, Hannibal Lecter, I mean, he's, he's, he's like agile and he's cunning, but he, and he's just charming enough that he wins over the people that then all, but in a weird way mm. though, I'm like, how in the world did they not think like the whole time that nobody's, because this is a prequel to like Silence of the Lambs version of Hannibal Lecter. So okay. he's still a practicing psychologist and it's like the whole time, all this shit keeps happening around him and no one suspects him. And I'm like, it's obviously him. <laughs> Who else in your life? Like, come on. And he, and he kind of like Dexter. Yeah. Which I, I was going to get to that one. Um, but with Hannibal, he facilitates connection and emotion almost believable but really not and so it's it you you only believe that the people who felt like he had a connection with them believed it not that you believe he actually had a connection so that's the only way you if that makes sense like you think that they believed it but you don't believe it because it's obvious that he doesn't and so it's the most well thought out version of hannibal and i'm really really angry that um nbc owns or cbs um, one of them owns the rights to Clarice Starling's character. That's why they have that new show Clarice on TV right now. They wouldn't let Brian Fuller and that team have it because they were going to go into the signs of the lambs for that next season. And then they couldn't do it. So, and they still can uh. technically, but then it had like a cult following of all these people, which by the way, if you're a Hannibal fan, we are definitely friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk about that in the comments with me or in the community, please. Cause there's a bunch of people who love that show and anybody who's seen it really loves it. Okay. So I don't know how many people will agree with this or not, but one of my favorite fives is actually Dexter Morgan from the show Dexter. Uh, He was not a nice guy, (laughs) but I've just always really felt this weird attachment to him that his inner monologue sort of like resonated. And it's so funny. I can't say this to many people because they look at me sideways. I'm like, yeah, everything but the serial killer part, but just something about his struggle with like social mores and norms. He can be perceived as a normal functioning person. I mean, so much so that no one knew his secret, but it took a lot of practice and it took a lot of observation and learning and how to interact in different social settings. He is very objective in the way that he sees the world and clearly he takes that a little too far. He's able to form these, they are emotional connections. They've been compartmentalized to such an extreme that he doesn't view them as feelings or recognize them as emotions. And I do think that that's something that we struggle with as fives is being able to understand and realize that we do have feelings. We just need to figure out how they show up for us um, versus how they might appear to show up for other people. There's one that I I love because I feel like his name just completely sums up his fiveness. Okay. So if you watch the show Fringe, have you watched that? The Fringe? Sh- Fringe. I have not. 
Oh man, I love that show. I know. You've been trying to tell me about it for oh like six gosh. years, <laughs> maybe longer. So there's this character called the Observer. <laughs> <laughs> no, not a five. Yeah. No way. <laughs> and he just shows up, you know, at different points in history to observe things and take down notes. Yeah. And, you know, you get to know him more in the series and learn that his name is September. And what a terrible name. I would stick with the observer. Uh, well, they call him the observer because they don't know who he is. Right. And um, he has the name that he does. Well, it's a whole thing you don't want to get into. Yeah. I love that. I always remember relating to this character who was kind of like a, just like a tangential character. Mm hmm. But I always thought how much I would love to just be able to do that, be able to pick periods of time and just go back mm. and observe them and see what it was actually like. Yeah, I agree with like, that. That's one of the things that drives me crazy is that I can intellectualize things and I can put myself in a place and I can come up with these theories about what something is like. Mm. But until I can actually go test that hypothesis and actually experience it and see what it's like, I can never actually really know. And that drives me nuts. And that's one of the reasons why stuff like politics has always driven me crazy because it's so hard to know what's actually true and stuff like I can be interested in certain things in history, but I don't really, I don't, I've never really enjoyed a lot of historical things except for, <laughs> except for things that when they're, there are theories that change our perception of history, then I'm all about it. So I totally, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to alienate like half of our audience here, but I totally got into like the whole like ancient alien, ancient civilization thing. Just, you know, if for no other reason, it's like a fun thought experiment and went way down that rabbit hole. And like, that was really fun. And, and thinking through like, was this last summer? Um, since last summer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember this um, time. <laughs> and, and so it was yeah like that kind of stuff that I love, but anything that like is a new take or, or helps us think about like reframe things in history. I love that. But Amy, she's super into my wife, you know, she's super into like period pieces and loves all this historical things. And if it's already happened, I don't really care. Like, I don't really care to go back and like relive it or understand it. Like I'd rather focus on like, okay, what can the future be like? Yeah. And how can, you know, and, and like, how can we make that happen? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> or, or not make it happen depending on the scenario of if I'm feeling super dystopian at the, at the moment, or maybe I want the dystopia. I don't know. I'm, st I'm still, the jury's still out on that one. Um, but I like, I like, the this character the observer mm -hmm. and so the other one and i know that you don't watch anime and i won't hold that against you hang on before we go to this okay. i need to interject because okay. there's something that goes perfectly with what you just said okay do it devs oh yeah devs i would if, if anyone's a five out of those characters i think it's the main the guy no the or the girl yeah the the main character girl person i don't know i uh, i, I kind of binged that show and then forgot about it to be you honest. know actually <laughs> i would say the one who might actually be a five is um allison pills character i don't know who that is she's the one who's uh nick offerman's character's right hand woman and also lover <laughs> oh yeah i don't know she's probably the five actually because she's a, like a sociopathic <sighs> character in that show okay so she's probably a five i don't remember she's almost the villain so Okay. I, she actually is the villain. Um, okay. I don't really remember it that well. Oh my God. I, I didn't, I only watched it recently. So I remember very well. And on that note, it's really strange to say, but when they go back, it, it builds up to it so long that when they go back and see a very particular, I won't ruin it for people who haven't seen it. You guys should definitely go watch devs on FX. It's amazing. It's worth it. It's good. 
Um, but it, there's a moment where they actually see and they figure out how to materialize in front of them a moment from the past in history. That's the climactic moment of history to see if it's actually real. Do you mm. remember what moment I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And I got goosebumps. It's almost like I was watching the history behind, a long time ago. Right. That's And I got almost emotional, which is weird because mm. I don't feel an emotional connection to that moment. But it was it was weird because I, I my brain, I was so invested in the show. They pulled me in so hard with the intellectual parts of it yeah. that I was invested emotionally. And when I saw that, it's like I was also watching history in front of me. Well, but, it was so weird. But that's the thing is that... What what's compelling about it is the machine that they built yeah. literally allowed you to go back and figure out the truth of anything. Like yep. you could go back through time essentially, um, and and so you 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 the like the world is open to you. I think that that's part of the, my issue with with history is that at some like somewhere as much as I try to fool myself, I know that the history that I'm learning about is a version of history. Right. There's yeah. no like it and 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 the degree of truth in there mm-hmm. is um is, relative. It's well, yeah, and and it's it's all about who who wins, right? That's who writes history. And so I don't I can't be confident in it. Right? And and so if if I can't be confident that what I'm looking at is true and there's no like there are, you know, there are methods that historians have um to to come up with kind of like a, a degree of certainty. Right. Um, but you know, I feel like it's a lot different than, um, more, the more scientific method because you, there, you can actually test things and, and stuff like that. There's, there, there are, there's only so much we can know about the past. Yeah. Um, at this point where we, and that drives me crazy. So I, you know, it's not, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not as interested in it because I know that I can never really know for sure. So I'd rather th- focus on like, the stuff that I can figure out, you know? Sure. Yeah. Instead of watching Downton Abbey, I'm going to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. So next, actually, that's a good segue into, since we're talking about Nick Offerman. Yeah. I wanted to get your opinion. Do you think that Ron Swanson is a five? His constant need to not have anybody know where he is or have any of his information and his distrust of the government, but then also working in the government. I don't know. It's and his his definitely um, even at his most emotional, he's uh, lacks emotion. Mm-hmm. So it's possible, and that would make sense with his relationship with April and how it was so perfect in its lack of relationship. <laughs> <laughs> April's definitely a five. Yeah, um, and I love her character. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. Okay. And I'm not convinced Ron is a five. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's actually a similar case to what we talked about earlier with Tony Stark, where I actually think Ron's might be an eight. And he's just a really, really unhealthy eight for most of the show. And that's actually his character arc is his growth. So to me, that's actually his character arc. The growth that he experienced is integrating. Um, so coming away from that five, that like paranoid, isolatory place. And moving more into a two where he's a caretaker and he's caring for the family that he has. You're making the same argument for Ron Swanson and Tony Stark. I know. (laughs) I know it's weird, but I Hmm. I kind of wonder about that. And actually, I I, I would I would say that it's probably to me, it's a stronger argument for Ron Swanson than it is for Tony Stark. Okay, 
That's fair. You've also watched Parks and Rec more than you've watched all 23 movies. That is true. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could see that. I don't know. I have a, I have a hard time though, because what if he's, I mean, fives are capable of feeling things. Yeah, I know. So it, it just because but we're not caretakers. Definitely not caretakers. We and, expect everybody to take care of themselves. And the other, the, and we're totally it, fine with people wanting to take care of us, right? And the other, <laughs> the other thing about the other thing about Ron is kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with with Tony is, I don't see him overthinking things. You know, he's a very decisive person. It's very black and white with him, and and there's not there's not this uh, complexity. He's, he's he he doesn't he doesn't complexify things. He just he simplifies everything and complexify. Like sure, we're gonna go with it. <laughs> okay okay you know what i mean whereas yes. like fives we can take one thing and just extrapolate it out and make it more and more complex and yeah and can, five wing six is different than five wing four in that mm-hmm. way because five wing six struggles with the idea of extrapolating so far that then it's like what is the meaning of anything and and and, and struggles with that whereas four is you know like we've said bathe in it i kind of like that yeah, yeah. um that and i that also might be i mean if so i can actually use ron swanson as a perfect example to say tony stark might actually be a five wing six and it's because you say he's decisive but there's an entire period of time where because of the re- revelation of aliens and gods, he struggles with everything he's ever known and spends about three movies mm. trying to figure out what he believes in again and having the trauma and that the trauma of both the New York a- a- um, attack and also just having to redefine what it means and him trying to like grasp at straws and develop all these things. And then he has an overreaction with the um, Sokovia Accords trying to create essentially he wanted to create a barrier around earth to protect everybody from it because essentially that means he's protecting himself and he's protecting his world from everything outside of it because he has an overreaction Mm. to everything he doesn't know yeah that's a good point tries to and then he dives very very deep into everything defensive and all of the defensive Mm. technology he can create which ultimately creates ultron you know that's a really good point in that fives we tend to focus on what we don't know right and Tony Stark does that. Okay. I think I could buy the Tony as a five. I think that Ron is not a five. I agree with you. Yeah. I don't think Ron's a five. I've never really thought Ron's a five. In the first season, you think he's a five because he comes across so distant and cold. Right. Um, and April does too, but even <laughs> April's story arc never really changes. Like she, yeah, she grows true. warmer and she grows a little bit like, okay, she cares a lot about Andy. But she never yeah. really changes. I and love, that's a five thing. I love her character so Fives much. develop, but they don't really change. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that because I've changed a lot. <laughs> I've changed a lot. Well, fives are more consistent. I'll say that. Maybe even take out, take the change thing out that I said. Sure. But even through our change, we're still kind of unwavering in our consistency about a certain core aspect of that. what makes us who we are. I mean, I think you could say that about pretty much any type except for maybe a nine. I don't know. Sixes swing a lot of different directions. Sevens are all over the place. Well, I mean, if ones, if, I would say are pretty we, much if, like fives. But if you kind of come back to what the Enneagram is, where you're looking at what is our core desire and our core fear, that's going to be consistent across. I, I know for me, the reason why a lot of people think that I'm, I'm not a five and I'm a nine or something 
is because of how I have very purposefully, intentionally, and intensely reprogrammed my subconscious mind to negate the things of being a five that don't serve me well. Mm. And that's a that's a conversation for a whole other time. Yeah. But I that's, little teaser there. Yeah, that's that's what I've done. And so, you know, I get it. I think it's funny when people try to type me, but it is what it is. I think the fictional Enneagram five that I relate most to is Dr. Gregory House from House MD. I started watching the show when I was probably 15 or 16 years old. It was kind of a family show that we all sat down and watched and my parents and my sister would all sit back and exclaim over how he talked to people or how he treated people and how he was so messed up and all this stuff. And I just remember sitting back thinking, no, I I get it. He's got all these emotions and things that he's dealing with and he doesn't know how to deal with them and he doesn't want to deal with them. So instead, he channels all of that frustration, all that emotion into fixing problems. He saves people's lives. He figures out these crazy things that are wrong with the human body and then he makes it all better. And who cares if he's a jerk while he does it because he's healing people. And I can remember even at 15 years old, just relating to not being able to deal with my own junk, but wanting so desperately to help other people and fix other people and not let the emotions and not let the feelings get in the way of that. I think that's the first time I ever really felt that I could relate to somebody on that kind of a level. There was a couple more that I wanted to get to here before we head out. And (laughs) one that I love, and I have to bring up because I know, Cody, I know you're not an anime fan, but Death Note is... I knew this was going to come up in conversation. Death Note is... I, it gave me a whole new respect for the genre. I was already a fan and I'd watched a ton of anime and then I watched Death Note and I said, this might be the most brilliant piece of fiction that I've read. Just in terms of the way they play mind games with each other, mm-hmm. the way that they are trying to outsmart each other in a way like I was continually blown away by how smart these characters were. And it's just so clever. Um, the cat and mouse game that they play, um, the deductive reasoning, like the logic that they have. Uh, I absolutely love this series. So L, who's the main character, who's kind of the anti, I don't know if I call him an anti-hero. He's like the main character, but he's kind of, I mean, he's not the antagonist. He's like the protagonist, but he's hmm. doing something evil. <laughs> so the premise of the show. So it's like Dexter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the, okay. pre- the premise of the show is there's this high school student and there are the, there's essentially a demon who gives him, well, he doesn't actually give it to him. He drops it into the human world to see what happens, but this is notebook uh-huh. and there are certain rules around it, but essentially you write someone's name in it and they die. And so this high school student is hyper intelligent and he finds a notebook, picks it up, discovers what it is. But instead of just writing people's names in it, he thinks through, okay, how can I do this so I won't get caught? Mm. And so then he's essentially... He's definitely a five if he already knew who he wanted to write down in the book. (laughs) Well, no, he's, he's, he's selecting targets based on people that he finds who are like um, criminals and things like that. This is really like Dexter. Um, Yeah, it it really is. But, and, but then a, um, like the world's greatest detective catches his scent 
and goes through this process of figuring out who he is. And but how did how if he's writing this name in a book? Exactly. It's really clever. That's what I'm saying. Is there an English version of this? No, you got to man, just deal with the subtitles. I hate the dubs. It's already Dude. hard for me to watch cartoons. It's even harder to watch it in a different language. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I get too like separated from the story. That's always guess, been my issue with anime. Okay. I guess that's fair. I think the there is an know. English version of, of death note. There uh, do, do not watch the live action version. That's oh, terrible. Yeah. No, I, I've, I've already heard many yeah, things about it. Um, but this, this show is brilliant. I love the whole thing. Like, it's just this like intellectual porn, essentially. <laughs> like it just, Oh, my brain was uh, firing in all cylinders watching this. I loved it. Okay. Okay. So the next one, I'm really on the fence on this one because this is my favorite movie and it's mainly my favorite movie because, because I've watched, I didn't watch a lot of stuff like when I was really young, I grew up in West Virginia Yeah. and we didn't have a lot of access to things. Um, but my aunt had this movie on VHS and I watched it a hundred times. Anytime I went over to her house, um, that's this is what I watched, and it's The Princess Bride. Yeah, and it's this cult classic, super clever. Um, I just love the way it's written. Uh, I love everything about it. It's mm-hmm. so witty and unexpected, and I can still, even though I can quote the whole thing, I can still watch it and enjoy it to this day. Sure, I, just, I love yeah. it. You've seen it, right? Yes. Okay. Do you think Wesley's a five? Because I've gone, I've gone back and forth on this with some people on like Instagram and stuff. And I, I feel like there's a case to be made that he is, but I'm not necessarily convinced. Well, so I don't, I, I'm not going to have a strong enough opinion to have a conversation about it because though okay. I've seen this movie, I'll be honest. It's a lot like Monty Python and the Holy Grail to me <laughs> in the sense that I only watch it with friends when I'm drunk. Okay. So fair enough. Why do you think he's a five? Cause okay. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing it actually. Okay. So let's walk through this. So the beginning, he is a man of very few words. He observes the farmer's daughter from a distance. And the only way she knows that he loves him is because when she asks for something, he says, as you wish. And that's the only words that really he says to her. It's true. <laughs> so he's playing this sort of intellectual game and seeing if she can catch up, you know, catch on to it. Okay. Right. And that's sort of what, like if you look into like, you know, sexuality of a five, like it's yeah. a very intellectualized thing. And so that's kind of clue number one. And clue number two is, you know, he goes off, he, you know, he's on the ship, gets captured by pirates. How he makes the most of that situation is he uses it as a, a opportunity to learn everything that he can. Mm. So he learns from the pirate, he ends up becoming, you know, friends. He ends up becoming the Dread Pirate Roberts because of that. He becomes an amazing fencer, swordsmith, or not swords, but like, you know, he, he's great with the art of fencing, right? <laughs> so, and then he goes through this, like through the show, every single kind of scene is basically to show how smart he is. So when he duels with Inigo, it's all about outsmarting him, showing him like he studied more. When he uh, when he duels with Fezzik, who's the giant, he basically outmaneuvers him, outsmarts him because he knows that he can't out like overpower him with it, like physically. Mm. And then when he sits down with Vicini to have a battle of the wits, he outsmarts him, and it's this whole like thing, right? He's always okay. the smartest person in the room. Got it. Yeah, and I can see the case to be made for this. I also don't know because I feel like he's kind of sentimental, but so if he's a five, he's probably like me. And then he's like a five wing four. Mm -hmm. 
and maybe a social subtype like I am. <laughs> probably. And so I, I see a lot of myself in that character and it's probably why I love the movie so much. And, and that's why I'm, I'm leaning towards him being a five, but there's also some things that he doesn't show some of the more, like he seems more of an optimist than I feel like most fives would be in a lot of situations. Yep. Although now that I'm thinking of it, when they bring him back to life mm-hmm. and they're sitting on top of the, the castle wall and they're you know looking over and he's like asking, he first, the first thing he does is he takes an account of like, okay, what are our resources? What are we up against? All right. And then he's like, yeah, this is not going to work. Like <laughs> he's like, we're going to call it the day. Right. Um, so I don't know, maybe, you know, when he is one of the things that he also has, is just kind of this indomitable will. Mm. And I wonder if that's integrating to an eight, maybe. And and that's where that's coming through. I'm not sure. I don't know. Let us know in the community if you agree <laughs> with Josiah on this. So the fictional character that I most identify with would be the K2SO droid from Rogue One. Uh, if you've ever the movie that droid plays a very prominent role in the group and you can tell from the droid's demeanor that they are very analytical very much all about fact data not so much concerned about feelings or emotions and it's all about sarcastic dry humor in almost every conversation that they're a part of and they're very pessimistic but in a truthful way, it's not a glass half empty versus glass half full. It is, it is what it is. Okay, so probably the last one because it's getting way too late. I have to get up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> this episode lasted way longer than I thought it would. <laughs> I don't know if a lot of people have watched this show, but it's so good. If you haven't, this is a plug for it because yeah. it's amazing. I love this show. And I don't know if... If it's coming back. I don't know either. So how do we say this? I guess we can kind of, uh, we, we, we're marking everything as explicit, so we can just say it, I guess. We can say what we want. Okay. Uh, this show is called The End of the Fucking World. Yes. And the first <laughs> season amazing. is incredible. <laughs> it's genius. Oh my God. It's so good. The funny thing is, hang on, we got to say the okay. premise of the show. Yeah, go ahead. Is that there's this kid, James, mm-hmm. who takes a liking in at least what well, you think of is that you, you in the trailer the reveal is he takes it looks like he takes a liking to this girl who also takes a liking in him to him but the way that he takes a liking to the girl is that he mm-hmm. wants to kill her mm-hmm. <laughs> he thinks that, that she'll be his first true murder and yeah, because he's a psychopath because he's a psychopath and yeah. he's struggling with not actually feeling anything mm-hmm. or knowing anything about yeah anything outside of that small world of being trapped inside of torment and detachment. (laughs) And I don't know if you and I, I don't think we've talked about, we haven't talked about the show at all. Okay. But so it's kind of funny, but I don't really ever feel like I tap into or am that in touch with the primal side of myself, Hmm. the primal self. 
But there's moments when I watch things like that, where especially the raw, like when you're in his mind and you see the things that he sees, it like triggers the primal self for me. And Mm -hmm. I'm reminded that that's there. Like I agree. I not agree with, but I understand that. Yeah. And it's really strange. And I, and I immediately, and what's really strange is within the primal self, I mean, it's probably something in my amygdala, but I immediately feel emotionless. It like, hmm. like I immediately cut off and I'm like, into this place where so I'm you like, just start mirroring it kind of, I don't know if it's mirroring it because I definitely feel it without having to see it, but it's, it brings me to that place where, yeah. where it's almost, well, it's like a fight or a fight or flight reaction almost. Right. Where it's like, I see that moment or I feel that moment. I see that happening. And then I feel the moment in, 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 immediately following and, uh, I'm just in there. I'm in the moment hundred percent. So like for some people, it like really troubles them or bothers them to see things like that. And for me, I feel it, it's weird to say, but I feel more alive in some of those moments where they're more graphic and more intense, not because I want to kill somebody or be in those moments, but it's because there's something about that moment that triggers something in me that I never am in touch with because I'm constantly suppressing it. Hmm. I might have to edit that out later. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Josiah, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, and you're the type of person who likes helping others, would you do us a favor and share it with other people like you? If you found value in this conversation, they will too. I also want to give a special thanks to our community members who shared their voice with us in this episode. If anything in this conversation has resonated with you, or if you have any further thoughts or questions, I want to invite you to join our community of other people like you and continue the conversation at Enneagram5.com. Thank you.